There it is. You guys weren't watching that little scenario to take place up here, were you? No? Just, yeah, look up there. Hey, guys, welcome to Trace. How are we doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. So, so glad you're here. I saw so many new faces this morning, and uh, I don't know, again, I, say, I think I say this every week, don't know what brought you in our direction this morning, but we are incredibly thankful that you've joined us. We understand that you can do a ton of different things on your Sunday morning, but you chose to be here with us, and that's a big deal to us, and so we're really glad and thankful that you're here, and you're going to be a part of this conversation this morning. My name's Aaron. I am one of the pastors here, and let me start with some crowd participation. Um, how many have some young kids in the room? Young kids? Yeah, raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm a dad of four, and one of the things that I have noticed is these fads that come in and out of my kids' lives. And sometimes I'm completely shocked on the things that actually get their attention, the things they invest their time and even money into when we give them, you know, we give them allowance for doing their chores and things like that. And they want to buy things like Shopkins. Anybody else? Shopkins? No? How about fidget spinners? Right? Yeah? So uh, we have heard about these things. Keep this up for a little while. We have heard about these little devices so much in our house that we're beginning to put up sanctions against them. Um, if I hear the word fidget spinner one more time, I might lose it. And so, uh, again, if you're a, a dad or a mom of young kids, you probably have heard the controversy behind these things, right? Kids are getting their fingers stuck in the holes. The ones that come with batteries are catching on fire. And so this may not be the best parenting advice, but when Emily and I learned about this controversy behind these little guys, we thought, here's our opportunity, Here's our opportunity to put the fear of God in our kids, so maybe we will stop hearing about fidget spinners. And so we start telling them that, hey, the, like kids are losing their fingers, I'm just saying, like they're blowing up. I mean, I'm, not, I, I'm just letting you know, guys, we love you, we don't want that to happen to you. And so my eight-year-old, you'd have to know her, her name's Lily, um, not only did she throw away all of her fidget spinners, um, but she decided to start a neighborhood petition. And so if you came to my house, on the outside of my house, I think it's gone now, but she put a petition, no fidget spinners on our property, and listed all the reasons why. Like, they'll blow up, they'll kill you, you'll lose your fingers, and I'm like, it worked, it worked. Again, maybe not the best parenting advice, but man, I am so surprised <laughs> the investment and the attention that my kids put into things like this. Now, there's another fad that I can actually appreciate. And if you're a parent in here of teenagers, this is going to, most certainly, this will be something that you're familiar with. And it's called bottle flipping. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, okay. So, here we go. i get a shot. I've been practicing. It's got to have to, like, a perfect balance of liquid. I think that's it. I think that's it. So, kids have been doing this and wasting who knows how much time. I am not good at this. So, but what, what's happened is that this has gotten too easy for too many kids. And so now they're starting to flip other things that are harder and harder. And the best way I can show you this is by letting you see this video. Check this out and watch this kid's expressions. Hours and hours. Look at this. There's no telling how many hours. You got a crayon that that wasn't enough. 
So many, many hours later. how much time was wasted on trying to get a colored pencil to stay on. But hey, I got to give the guy credit. That was actually really cool. And I can the kid inside of me can appreciate that. So why do I share all of this with you? Guys, I really am surprised these days, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm, I'm surprised by the things that elicit a response out of us. And at the same time, I'm also surprised what doesn't get a response out of us. And even for the things that do get a response out of us, what does that response look like? And what does that say about us? For instance, if you're driving down the road and you see a horrible accident, or maybe you hear of the latest, latest, latest tragedy of someone in Colorado Springs taking their own life, is our first response to want to know more details, to look and observe and see what happened, to get as much information as possible, or is our first response to pray? to pray for the people involved because, man, one of the things that seems to be happening is we're inoculated with so many tragedies. And I mean, everybody's, I don't have my phone up here, but everybody is like a cameraman now, right? And so we've got videos of so many things happening. You can go online, you can see tons of really good things, but also really bad things that happen to people's lives. And we're becoming desensitized to the fact that behind each of these scenarios are people, people. People who have families, people who have kids and brothers and sisters and moms and dads. But sometimes we just respond with this idea of, I want to see what happens next. And it's getting to this place where it's never enough. What is our response to the things that are happening around us? And what should our response be? This is why one of our sayings here at Trace is this. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And the reason why we say this statement a lot is because we do, you know, we count. We see how many people are in here on each, every, in every Sunday. But you're not just a number. And you're never going to be just a number because behind every number is a face. Behind every face is a story. And every single one of your stories matters to God. And therefore it matters to us. What is our response to the things that are happening around us. What about the church? What if you come in here one Sunday morning and I say something, or Corey says something, or we have a speaker, who knows, and whatever's said, you don't like. And because you don't like it, you decide that you're done with the church, that you're just going to bow out, you've had enough. Instead of allowing your response to be, man, let me just take some time and explore what was said even though it's an opposing opinion to maybe what I believe, and see if there's any truth behind it. What if that was our response instead? Last week, many of you, many of you guys expressed your appreciation in the conversation that we had about this idea of church people versus changed people. And I got up here and I defined the difference between legalism and leadership and love. And that's going to carry over into our conversation today because what I want to talk about today is this. What is our response to the people around us who are different from us? Maybe they look different 
than us. Maybe they act different than us. But maybe they believe things different from us. Some of you have been on the other end, unfortunately, of somebody who represented a belief. Maybe it was before you became a Christian. Maybe you're still in here right now and you're still not a Christian. We're glad you're here. But on the other end of this person, whoever that was, maybe it was on the other end of a church, you, you felt this condemnation and judgment because you weren't behaving the way that you were supposed to behave. Or you weren't believing the things that you were supposed to believe. And unfortunately, when we do that, when that's our response, oftentimes we lead people away from God and not towards God. That's the story from some, for, from some of you, because I've had those conversations with you. And I know how hard it was for you to come back in here. So we're actually going to jump into one of my favorite chapters of the Bible today. And it's in Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, the reason this is one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of the Bible is because Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually does something that challenges traditional Christian thinking. And the reason why I like that is because I actually think that we need to challenge traditional Christian thinking sometimes because traditional Christian thinking is what's got us into some trouble in the past. It doesn't mean all of it's bad. I just think it's worth revisiting. And when you read this, when we read this together today and we look at what Paul does, you've probably read this chapter before, maybe you've read it before, and it may catch you by surprise what he actually does because so many people overlook this, but it's huge. It's monumental when it comes to what our response should be to those that may believe things differently from us. Now, before we get there, I want to do something that I think will add value to our conversation today. You've been hearing me use the word response. And I want to define for you two different words. I want to ref- d- define the word reaction, and I want to define the word response. And some people may say this is just semantics. I personally don't believe so. I think the difference between these two words is actually crucial when it comes to the way that we're supposed to be and respond specifically as Christians. Here is how I would define reaction. It's instantaneous, a, ref- a reflex, oftentimes from emotions, and many times it's not thought through. For instance, if my son were to bring a fidget spinner to the dinner table, I would drop kick it out of his hand at this point. That's a reaction instead of a response, which is this. It's intentional. It's thought through, often carefully carried out or said. So instead, I would say, Jonathan, if you bring that fidget spinner to the table one more time, I'm going to crush it into a thousand pieces. And I'm going to flush it down the toilet. Okay, I'm sorry. This is, you see where I've, this has very much influenced the way that I'm thinking. Let me do this. Before we pick up in Acts chapter 17, let me sum up where we've been and where the Apostle Paul is. Now, if you've been with us for uh, many weeks or just a few weeks even, you know that we've been in this study of the book of Acts. And we've seen this guy named Saul convert to Christianity, which was a huge deal because Saul was the biggest persecutor of Christians, even going so far as to having them murdered. And so when he becomes a Christian, like this is a big stinking deal. And now we're watching Paul live out his faith, and he's traveling to many different cities. And as he's traveling to these different cities, he's starting churches. Now, you may have overlooked this, but some of the things, some of the cities that you'll hear come up in the book of Acts are Corinth, and Ephesus, and Thessalonica, and Philippi. And the reason those are important is because this is where we get our book, some of the books in the New Testament. You see, after Paul plants these churches later on, we get to read the letters that he sent to these churches, like First and Second Corinthians, and Ephesians, and Thessalonians, and Philippians, because Paul is writing those churches that what we're reading right now, these churches that he's going and beginning and getting started. And so this is a really cool thing that's happening, but one of the things that often happens is Paul's not welcomed into the cities that he's going into. The response that they're giving him is, oh, wait, wait, 
Who's this new king? This guy named Jesus? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, don't bring that new stuff around here. We, we're good. We, we've got what we believe. And so oftentimes Paul is, he's run out of these cities. And one particular city was a city called Berea. And this city had a couple guys that were so frustrated with Paul that they followed him. They were going after him. They wanted to ca- capture him. And so some of the apostles and other disciples, they send Paul to a city called Athens and say, hey, just go there and wait. And so Paul goes there to wait for two of his friends named Silas and Timothy. This is where we find Paul in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. And an idol would just be something that these guys would be putting in the place of God. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then he took... Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend a lot of their time discussing the latest ideas, the latest fads. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're religious in every way. Maybe you missed it. Because I did. Many, many times reading this particular chapter of the Bible, I missed this. And then somebody pointed, out, pointed it out to me one day. and I spent a lot of time thinking about this and how it should reflect upon my re- approach and response of people who don't believe what I believe. You see, Paul, he had every reason to get up in front of them and say, man, you guys have screwed this up. Let me tell you how to do it right. But what does he do instead? How does he begin the conversation? Men of Athens, I see that you're religious in every way. I've got so much that I want to say about what Paul does here. And so if you'll lean into this conversation, I think you'll come out of this both challenged and feeling refreshed in some of those maybe uncomfortable conversations or relationships you have with people at times that don't believe what you believe. Let me do this, and it's impossible for us to know what's going on in the mind of Paul, right? But let's just pretend. Let's speculate a little bit together this morning. I imagine Paul is walking through the city of Athens, and as, as he's noticing these different uh, idols, these things they put up on a pedestal to worship, he's thinking to himself, man, these guys are wrong. Like, all of this is wrong. Why has nobody told them that they're wrong? They're worshiping the wrong God. Somebody's got to call these guys out. God doesn't believe this. God doesn't affirm this. Someone needs to let these guys know that they're wrong. So what's Paul doing? Maybe inside in his spirit, he's reacting. But then maybe, just maybe, God gets his attention and says, whoa, 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 Paul. You remember how messed up your life was? Do you remember how many things you were getting wrong? Do you remember how many people that you hurt? And you did it in my name? That's actually what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, doing things in the name of God, when God says, I don't want anything to do with that. 
And maybe Paul steps back, <sighs> takes a deep breath, and he thinks, I can't react here. I need to respond. I need to intentionally think about where these people are. They don't know that what they're doing is wrong, and so I need to think about what this response looks like. And man, their motives are probably pure because they think they're doing something good. They're worshiping God. They're not just worshiping themselves. I mean, this is not narcissism. They're trying to put something above their life. And so Paul says, I see that you're religious in every way. Keep this up here for a second. Guys, do you, do you understand that Paul just encouraged them in something that he doesn't even believe, believe in? Do you see it? He doesn't believe. He doesn't agree with what they're doing. But he noticed that their motive was pure. And he says, you know what? I'm going to lead with empathy, with encouragement, and with grace. Men of Athens, I see that you're religious in every way. Friends, do you know how many people that I've debated into a relationship with Jesus? Zero. Do you know how many people in conversations that I've shut down in attempt to debate people into a relationship with Jesus? Many. That was more of my story in the past. God finally got my attention and showed me that my response should probably look a little bit different. A few weeks ago, I was officiating a wedding uh, down in Florida, and it was uh, the night where we were supposed to go to the reception. And so I sat down with a group of people I've never met before and started having a conversation with a guy beside me. His name's Michael. And Michael just happened to be a philosophy teacher at a college. Now, I don't want to make generalizations, but I think we all understand that oftentimes philosophy professors at colleges are quintessential antagonists against the Christian faith and really God altogether. And he was no different. And uh, Michael already kind of knew who I was just because I was the preacher and he kind of knew my story from other people. And so he looked at me and said, Aaron, why did you like get out of the health and wellness field and go into ministry? And I said, my first response to him was, Michael, do you believe in God? His quick response, nope. I said, well, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to explain then, and so I, I did my best to help him to understand the calling of God in my life and why I walked away from a previous career to pursue a new career, and he was very respectful, and he listened to me and nodded his head, and then I invited his critique. Man, why, why is it, Michael? Why is it that you have so much trouble believing in God? And I, I allowed Michael to have the space to speak about his critique and his doubt of all of this stuff being real or true. And here's what I know, guys. Listen to me. I, I've studied the Bible and apologetics, which is just a fancy word for how to defend the Christian faith. I've done that long enough to have a will base full of knowledge to where I could have sat there with Michael and debated him for a long time. And I could have showed him where he was wrong, and I could give some good defense and argument towards the, the defense of Christianity and how it is a legit faith and how Jesus is who he says he was. But I've learned with guys like Michael, I can leave more value in his life that God could maybe do something with later by just letting Michael know, I just want to hear your position, man. Just tell me what you believe. Tell me why you believe it. Did, did somebody teach you that way? Did you grow up in the faith? Did, did somebody tell you that there was no God? And I just listened. And I didn't tell him he was wrong. I didn't debate him. I didn't fight with him. I didn't argue with him. I listened 
to him. And maybe you'll disagree with me, and that's okay. It really is. But I think Michael left that conversation. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Hey, I just sat down with a Christian, and not only a Christian, he was a pastor, and he welcomed my input, never affirming anything that he believed. But I believed I left Michael with a little bit more hope that maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Or maybe they, whoever they are, us, right? Maybe they're not who I thought they were. Friends, when it comes to the people in our lives who don't believe what we believe, I do believe our best response is to lead with empathy, encouragement, and grace. But let me be so crystal clear this morning. I'm not telling you to endorse a sinful behavior. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that instead of focusing on just what they're doing wrong, maybe you find something that they're doing right. And in the process, you can affirm an aspect of their life and create a different type of position to maybe speak up at a different time if God affords you that opportunity because in the moments where you were in disagreement with them, you respected their position and you invited it. But at some point, I do believe that we need to pivot, which is exactly what Paul does. Let me continue reading. Again, he says, Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines in one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing, man, that's the one I want to tell you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. From one man, he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, he determined their boundaries. His purpose, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Can we just sit on that for a second? Sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? whatever it is that you could be going through in your life right now, when God just feels distance and, man, you really need him to show up in your life and you just can't feel him, you can't, you can't sense him, you don't feel like you're hearing from him, that's when we start to have some doubts and questions. And can I, I know I say this a lot, man, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Like this is an old place where, this is a safe place where you can bring your doubts to the table. It really is. The last thing that I would want you to do is sit in your doubts alone not ever bringing them forward. And I promise you, I don't have all the answers. Corey does. But I don't. But just bring them to the table. It's okay. But I do want to remind you this morning that he's not far from you. Any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. That's called a pivot. Friends, one of the things about truth, listen to this. One of the things about truth is that no matter how hard it is to hear, it doesn't make it any less true. 
But sometimes when we hear truth, especially truth that makes us uncomfortable, we just want to sideline it. I don't want to deal with that. Man, that makes me feel like something that I may believe is not right, or I don't want to believe that, but even though it's pretty obvious that it's rooted in biblical truth, hold that thought for a second. It is my hope as a pastor in your life that you will be engaging in developing relationships with people who don't look the way that you look, people who don't act the way that you act, and believe the way or the things that you believe. I think that's actually very healthy for us. But what I don't want to see is us developing relationships with people who don't believe what we believe because they're a project. Our only intentions are so they they can at some point believe what we believe. Now, yes, we want everybody to come to faith in Jesus. I get it. I hope you can see how these scenarios fit together and all of this really makes sense. But friends, our approach of those people should be empathy and encouragement and grace and I may need to remind some of you that God loves them now just as they are. And we need to learn to love people just as they are. And by doing that, we might give ourselves the opportunity in the future to position ourselves for a conversation in the future, to be invited into a space, into a time, into a moment where we can pivot and move them in the direction of God. But if we lead with Man, you're wrong. No, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. It's bad behavior. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. I'm not sure we'll be afforded that opportunity in the future. My hope is that we'll position ourselves to have those conversations in the future because of how we love people now just where they're at. Because here's the hard truth. The hard truth of all this conversation is If we don't ever pivot, if we don't ever pivot and try to move people in the direction of God, they are missing out on the best response that has ever been given to human and and to mankind. And that was the response of God our Father who said, listen, you deserve death. I know we don't talk about this in the church a lot anymore, but you deserve hell. But I don't want that for you. And so I'm going to intentionally, I'm going to purposefully do one of the most encouraging, empathetic, and graceful things that I can do. I'm going to send you my son because he's perfect. and He's going to die in your place. And when he dies in your place, he's going to afford you the opportunity to be in heaven with me one day. That was God's response to our screw-ups. Shouldn't our response look a little bit similar to his? Growing up, one of my best friends, his name was Josh. Josh wasn't a believer. He was one of the only friends that I had that wasn't a believer. And a lot of times I could get some of my friends to come to church with me, but Josh would never come to church. Josh and I got in a lot of trouble growing up. And uh, he, he was. He was one of my best friends. And we, we hung out and kind of st- stayed together uh, through college years. And then we parted ways. And he kind of went his way, and I went my way. And there was probably 10 years that had gone by, and I never heard from Josh, didn't know what happened to him. I got rumors from time to time that he had gotten involved in drugs in a very heavy way, and that was always disappointing and discouraging. But then a couple years ago, his mom uh, found me on Facebook, and she said, Hey, uh, Aaron, I just want to let you know that Josh's dad just passed away from cancer. 
And she said, I know he would appreciate a phone call from you. And I said, yeah, absolutely. So she gave me his number, and I called him up. And we had a conversation. And for the first time, for the first time in Josh's life, he was willing to invite me into that conversation about faith. You see, if we lead on the front end in our relationships with things like empathy and encouragement and grace, you never know when God's going to give you that pivotal moment. And oftentimes those pivotal moments are when people invite you into them. I should make clear that that's what happened in Paul's life. He was invited to come and speak with them. Friends, sometimes we try to force this, don't we? Sometimes we try to force what we believe on others. And the way that, what I would liken this to is something called fertilizer burn. And this is the horticulturalist in me, sorry. But, you know, we put, we put fertilizer on things because we want them to grow. You put them on flowers because you want them to grow faster and have bigger blooms. You put them on your grass because you want it to be greener. You put them on crops so that you can yield more crops. But if you put too much fertilizer on something, what happens? You kill it. Too much of even a good thing at the wrong time as well can actually kill something. And I think we could liken that to sometimes the way that we approach people in our faith, trying to force our beliefs on people. Not at the right time. When it was uninvited. Before we led with empathy and encouragement and grace. Friends, don't, don't allow fertilizer, to, fertilizer burn to happen in your life especially in the lives of those around you. Engage, invest in people's lives that look very different from you, people who believe differently from you. And yes, pray for the opportunity one day that you'll be invited into a bigger conversation where you can pivot just like the Apostle Paul did and move them in the direction of Jesus. I'm learning that if you lead with the right things, God will often create the opportunity. So let me give you three takeaways and here they are. Today, some of you need to stop forcing your beliefs on others. Keep in mind this illustration of fertilizer burn because too much of even a good thing can make it bad and damaging. So don't miss the opportunity to show others that you love them just where you're at, just where they are. Takeaway number two, others in here need to start living more encouraging, empathetic, and grace-filled lives, especially towards those who are different from you. And instead of just pointing out where they're doing things wrong, be like the Apostle Paul. Take some time to empathize with them and even look for an area in their life where they can be encouraged. And then last, some of you in here, it's time to pivot. You maybe have even already had an opportunity in some relationships that you're in with people, but you're reluctant. I get it. I know it's, ner- it's just tough sometimes to start bringing up your faith. You don't know how somebody's going to perceive it or take it or how that's going to damage a potential relationship, but you know There are some opportunities that have already been put in front of you, and it's time for you to pivot and move them in the direction of Jesus and just start by telling them what he means to you. Don't be weird. Just speak of Jesus. And friends, if we'll all do this together, if we'll take an action step together, we'll be like a well-oiled fidget spinner. I don't know why I just said that. My son's going to appreciate that. I don't want to bring it full circle there. (sighs) Guys, if we do this together, don't miss this. This is what I'm going to end on. 
If we do this together, if we do take an action step, whatever your action step looks like, hopefully you found yourself in this narrative somewhere that you, can, you know this is a, a move that I need to make. If we'll all take an action step together, this church, Trace Church, will start to respond the way that God wants us to respond and not react. Let me pray for us. Father, some of us, including myself, we we feel like we need to force things to happen more quickly than they need to. I know I'm guilty of that, God. You, You know that. I know there's some people in here that can identify with that where we want to make things happen. We want to get things done. And we want, man, we, we love Jesus and we want other people to know Jesus. And sometimes we try to move in front of you and we take that initiative upon our, ourselves, knowing that you're the one who actually moves and transforms human lives and you're the one that can set up the right opportunity at the right time. Oftentimes, on the other end of a relationship where we've already invested love and empathy and encouragement and grace, loving people just where they're at. God, all of us have an action step that we probably need to take this morning. For some, it's they need to pivot. They've been reluctant about sharing their faith and about telling people about how much they really love Jesus and what he means to them in their lives. And Man, it's time for them to pivot. Others? Others need to learn what it looks like to invest in friendships with people who don't look the way they look, act the way they act, or believe what they believe. Father, all of us need to take a a step towards you this morning. I pray you show us what that looks like. And in in this moment of response that we're about to have together as a church, that you would make it clear what our move is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.